This fresh coat of the startup life has been sprayed on nice and smooth by Wagner and the Flexil series of paint sprayers. Startup Nation, my wife decided she wanted to rehab her childhood home. The goal was to fix it up and invite a nice family to rent it out. We knew one of the biggest jobs we had to undertake was painting. However, from the walls, the cabinets, and even the siding outside, it was going to be a big task. As entrepreneurs with a company to run, we knew this was going to take up a lot of our time, which is why we decided to get a paint sprayer. And after much research, we decided to go with the sprayer from the Flexio series from Wagner. Startup Nation, these sprayers are top-notch because of its flexibility to paint or stain walls, furniture, cabinets, and more. It's 10 times faster than using a paintbrush, which was a big selling point for us. And you can paint or stain right from the can. It's also easy to clean in five minutes and being great for indoor and outdoor projects, a paint sprayer from the Flexio series clearly needs to be part of the arsenal in your garage. So if you're ready to stain your deck or like me, fill your daughter's request of a bubblegum pink room, up your game with a paint sprayer from the Flexio series by Wagner. Take it from me. Your time will thank you. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation, so I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, as we continue to social distance, we are becoming more and more reliant on things connected to the web. We were talking about the Internet of Things from virtual school, the whole nine, right? But unfortunately, that also means we're going to come across a few bad characters to take advantage of that, which is why we have a really great guest to help us out with that. He is, give me just a second, sorry. He is a computer scientist, entrepreneur, and angel investor. He's a graduate of the University of Wisconsin, Go Badgers, and he is also the chairman and CEO of Gilware, which provides cyber risk assessments, data recovery, incident response, and digital forensics services. He is Brian Gil, B. Gil, what's up, man? Dominic, what is up, <laughs> man? Look, man, you know, man, look, man, we're just all out here surviving, man. Just all out here surviving. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it is a, uh, it's a challenging year in, in a lot of different ways, no that, doubt. That is very true. That is very true, man. So glad to kind of have you on the show, man. You ready to pour some knowledge in the startup nation today? Because we can definitely let's do use it. it. All right, let's do it. So first things first, man. Let's start with your origin story, if you don't mind, good sir. Sure. So I uh, went, got my computer science degree. Uh, this was during the first kind of pets.com internet mm-hmm. bubble 1.0. Right. And I jumped out to California and played in the startup game, worked at a bunch of different companies. A couple of them survived. Most of them exploded. Um, you know, learned a lot mm-hmm. about what kind of what to do, but more what not to do. Gotcha. Um, you know, I was on the more technical side of things, the software architecture side of things, sure. not the strat- strategic part of the business. Right. And I, but I saw a lot of the, I saw a lot of these problems happening around me, and you know, had some disagreements with some of the fundamental decisions that were being made. Mm. Didn't have confidence to to bring those concerns up to to probably who needed to hear them, if they'd even listen. Who knows? Understood. But you know, I didn't try. Um, but you know, when the whole internet collapsed and the whole economy collapsed, you know, I had not lost that, that entrepreneurial bug, mm. but I did leave California cause I, I knew I wanted to start my own company and kind of 
live or die by my own sword. Understood. Um, but I didn't see any real point to doing it. You know, where where rent on like a fifteen thousand square foot facility was going to cost me a quarter million dollars a month. Right. So uh, came back home to to Badgerland, mm-hmm. and you know, popped around a little bit, but started a company with two of my you know best friends in the world, uh, a guy named Dr. Greg Pfeiffer and my brother Tyler. Mm-hmm. And we started a company called Gilware, which I'm actually running right now, right. Uh, like 18 years later. Um, and it, it's basically a disaster recovery company. Now, when a lot of people hear disaster recovery, they actually think about prevention. Um, you know, the company I'm running right now, we're the firefighters because a disaster happened. Right, right. <laughs> and people need desperate help right now that's a great analogy Um, so we started that company and um have been it's primarily an it services company Mm -hmm. but it's it's just dealing with buildings on fire all the time and data loss situations that'll you know make you cry or or make some of our clients cry anyways and um so we've been helping them out for for like you know again roughly 18 years about two or three years into that business we started um, two different other startups. Uh, one of them we called Gilware Data Services. It was a cloud backup and a data analytics company. Uh, we ended up selling that company to a, a company out of Draper, Utah called Storagecraft about five years ago. Um, and then at the same time, we also, with my buddy Greg, uh, he had his PhD in nuclear engineering mm-hmm. and he had some ideas. And we started a company called Phoenix Nuclear Labs. And uh, I served on the board for there for about five or six years. Eventually, one of the last things I did on their board was we we basically voted to to spin off a little company called Shine Medical Technologies. And um, I, I've got you know almost no association day to day with these companies at this point, but they've been kind of crazy success stories here in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Phoenix they make these. Uh, basically these neutron devices, <laughs> these kind of neutron ray guns, and they have all kinds of crazy utilization right. across tons of different industries. But, you know, they've got about a hundred employees here in Wisconsin and they, um, you know, they, they definitely have, they probably raised, I don't know, ballpark 40 or $50 million of venture capital. Mm. Their spinoff shine medical technology everybody's going to hear about this company in the next couple of years and it's going to make global news. Um, You know, this company has raised again, ballpark, probably 400 million of of VC at this point. Wow. Including they just released a couple of days ago that one of the biggest investment houses in the world um, just invested like 40 or $80 million. And uh, they make, they make medical isotopes. So they use, Phoenix's neutron ray beams to basically make nuclear medicine. Mm. It's kind of a, a crazy story. Um, but, um, and then about five years ago, um, Gilware started a digital forensics company that we called Gilware Digital Forensics. Um, a couple months back, we actually rebranded that to be called Tetra Defense. We kind of spun that business unit out into its own, its own business, took a, a VC round ourselves. And, um, 
I served on the board of that company for a long time. I currently am not, but that company is the ones that are bailing people out of the ransomware incidents and providing the, you know, the defensive <laughs> mechanisms to prevent that kind of stuff in the first place. Right. Over at Gilware, the company I'm running, we're dealing with the more traditional data disasters and uh, not necessarily the the criminal ones. But, you know, that's how, that's my, my origin story, my life story. I basically exist to, you know, kind of tackle hard problems and help people through, help people and businesses through crises. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And I definitely want to dive into that, but I want to go uh-huh. back uh, a little bit to, uh, to you moving to California and stuff like that. Right. Because one of the things that I keep hearing from people who have like a tech idea or app idea and they keep saying, oh, I got to go to California. I got to go to the valley. Right. You know, but you decided to go you know, back to Badgerland, as you said. But like, I, I guess I'm curious, you know, you know, what would you say to somebody who just feel like they're just gung ho on going to California besides scaring them off with, you know, uh, that, that facility that's going to cost a quarter million dollars a month? But, you know, what would you say to them to convince like, hey, you don't really have to go to California to do this thing if you don't want to? Well, I I just I think for me as a young person, Mm -hmm. it was really just about shaking up my own, uh, you know, my own little prison that, you you know, I I think we all get in these habits. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, jumping on a plane, getting a one way ticket, flying to California without a job, without a map without a clue, right. <laughs> without a friend. Like gotcha. I, I didn't know anybody out there, not, right. not a single human. Gotcha. Didn't have a single friend, knew nothing to the point that my first apartment that I rented. Uh, and I, again, this is kind of an embarrassing story, but I got off the plane at SFO, mm-hmm. thought I was in San Francisco <laughs> and went, got my rental car and saw a place for rent and went in and, and rented it. Cause I didn't see the point in, staying in a hotel gotcha and then i realized oh crap i am like an hour away from san francisco (laughs) (laughs) luckily it was only like a three-month rental but uh you know it it, it's for me it was important because it all of those things in your life whether it's at the time like a some weird you know relationships or some responsibilities outside of your professional career or again, habits, good or bad, you know, surrounding yourself with some folks that, you know, how you spend your time sometimes or waste your time sometimes. For me, it was about moving and breaking all those barriers, challenging myself to focus on my career, you know, at a point in my life where I didn't have kids and mortgages and and all these responsibilities that we that we build through our lives right of course so for me i would never discourage somebody from moving now again to in the i did the math in like 2002 when the economy was in shambles mm. and it didn't make any sense to start a new venture out there gotcha. um part of it was because i was kind of hell-bent on not taking venture capital Fair or angel enough. investment. Fair like enough. I wanted right. to own. Cause I guess that, that does make a difference. Cause I like, Oh I, yeah. You, yeah. you, you want to be at least back then for sure. Right. Like if you wanted to go pitch an idea to a couple of dozen angel investors or VCs, and you wanted to maximize your chance to, 
to get some investment in your company and in your idea and not have to lose a tremendous amount of equity, that was definitely a great place to do it. But I was kind of over it. Some of the companies I I was with, uh, the last company I was with had its, um, had basically the rug pulled out from under it. Mm. You know, we had funding, we had raised our series B things were going okay. But when the economy went to hell, they basically just stopped writing the checks. (laughs) And I was like, Whoa, like six months back, like you agreed to invest like 25 million in our business. And then they were like, kind of just kidding. And, you know, and again, like those, those legal contracts and what these people can do, you know, when they have all the power, they can write in whatever they want into these, these investment contracts. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. And they can say, oh, by the way, anytime we want, we can stop writing checks. Right. Maybe. You know, and it's like, oh, okay. But they're oh, but don't worry about it. That'll never happen. Well, it did. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So I'm like, what can I bootstrap? What can I start with like the hundred grand I have in my checking account that I had squirreled away out there? Right. Like what what can I start with that where me and my business partners are gonna own a hundred percent of it? Hmm. And you know, I've never taken any equity or any investor for for Gilware Inc., the the parent company or whatever you want to, the origin company of a lot of this stuff. Now, obviously, my attitude, I was feeling really petulant back then, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I did not want anybody sitting on a board telling me what to do as CEO right? and pushing me in any direction I didn't want to go, and I didn't want anybody to be able to yank the rug out from under me. My, my attitude is definitely softened and changed over the years. Still super important to know who your investors are. Of course. Of course. You no, know, you have to know and super important to have some shark lawyers on your side reading all these contracts. Right. Right. Cause and, I mean, cause those check writers are, I mean, they're looking out for number one. I mean, they, they want to see, you know, the investment, you know, kind of, you know, 10 X or whatever, but they're definitely looking out for number one. So I definitely understand that. Well, in the, the, again, the, the ones that are kind of pooling money of smart people, like, so those like highest end, you know, uh, angel groups, they're, they have a responsibility, a fiduciary responsibility to get every nickel they can for the, the money that people invest. Right. Right. And there's a little bit of a battle that happens and, you know, you have to be able to, the only solution when you're on this end, trying to ask for money is you got to have competition. Gotcha. If you don't have more than one entity that's trying to invest, you're in big trouble. Gotcha. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I appreciate you sharing all that. Cause like I said, I, there's, there's so many people who, um, or have like app ideas and tech ideas. Usually it's like app ideas that, that usually, you know, talk to me about this stuff. Uh, and you know, they don't, they don't have a clue. They don't have a, any kind of, you know, uh, you know, a uh, roundabout way to kind of figure out, you know, that type of stuff. So I appreciate everything you just shared there. I actually want to ask a quick follow-up before we transition, uh, because you talked about being out there in California, you know, and, and around like the mid nineties, this is kind of where uh, the commercial use of the internet is really starting to take off. I think in 94, 95 is when you could actually start ordering uh, a pizza from pizza hut online. You know what I mean? Kind of talk about the atmosphere around that time. So, you, you know, you get to California and stuff like that. What's the, like the, the entrepreneurial atmosphere, the work atmosphere, like at that time, is it, is it different from what it is now? Is it pretty much the same kind of share with me a little bit about that? I mean, it was weird. Okay. Um, 
you know, and I had my first job out of school. I went and I worked at a place called Strong Mutual Funds, which went belly up. Um, but we were the first mutual fund company. And I worked on a small team of maybe 15 different programmers who worked there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that team and I had a very tiny little role in it. But, you know, that team made one of the they were the first mutual fund company where if you wanted to trade a mutual fund, you could log into the website and do it. Mm. Um, you know, and it was a pretty crazy thing. You know, Man. before that, you had to basically pick up the phone and call in and talk right. to a broker for 20 minutes to get anything done. Right. right. So it was a really neat situation. Um, when I went out to California, it could not have been more different from a culture perspective. Mm. I went from like an old, pretty stodgy, you know, wear a shirt and tie every day type of place. Right. You know, you got to have a suit near you. So if you had to run and talk to somebody in the business, you had to be in a suit. And it was a very nine to five, maybe eight to five type of place where, um, you know, you didn't see anybody in the building at 501. I, I would be the only one. Because gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had more, I wanted to work. I wanted more work than, than they were giving me to do. So gotcha. I would just kind of find things to do and find projects to impact. But um, is that when that, I went out to California, is that that the startup game is, was crazy. Gotcha. Um, you know, I worked for a company that, you know, we had taken a small venture capital round of a couple million bucks and we had a runway of six months mm-hmm. and 50 different projects they want to get accomplished. And if you went home at like midnight, you were a slacker. Wow. You, you know, we'd be there. It was literally like roll off of your cot at work because you took like a three hour power nap and and get to programming. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was. But it was there's a tremendous camaraderie that comes with that, too. I bet. Um, and there were people from all over the place. I mean, I was coming from a pretty stodgy old financial services company in Wisconsin. This was not a, uh, incredibly multicultural experience. And, you know, I was in the Valley and I was working with people from India, Pakistan, Asia. I mean, it was, you know, some of these people barely spoke English, but they were great programmers. Right. (laughs) And we all were working together shoulder to shoulder for 16 hours a day, including like some in a push eight, 10 hours on Saturdays and Sundays. I mean, it was, it was interesting. And, um, again, I learned a lot. Those companies didn't make it for a lot of different reasons, right? but it wasn't because of the work ethic, you know? Um, and, uh, and it get, it's a different deal when you're when you're working at a small company and the clock is literally ticking. Like you took money from somebody who might give you more money six months from now if you accomplish a bunch of goals and a bunch of metrics. Got you. And there's a there's the Grim Reaper and he's there looking at you every day, right? If Very you miss true. those goals, well, your CEO is going to go to that quarterly investor meeting and it's not going to go well. Right. You know, and it, it's a really, um, it's an interesting way to try to make a living versus working in kind of traditional, normal jobs. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. So I want to talk about a little bit about what you do uh, at Gilware, because you were talking about how 
you help, you know, uh, companies and organizations kind of, you know, uh, do that data recovery piece. I know there's a technical side part of it, but kind of talk about that human part, because, I mean, there's one thing to get the data back. But there's also the point right before you get the data back where, you know, you, you have to kind of assure them, like, you know, this is what we're going to do. We have a plan. It's OK, because you have to give them that peace of mind. Kind of talk about that part, Brian. Yeah, I mean, the, the technology part is hard and it's always been hard because you have all these, you know, storage companies that are pumping out ridiculous hundreds of different products a year. Right. They fail in a multitude of different ways. There's no owner's manuals. That part's always been hard. Um, but it's, it's more of a challenge for sure on the relationships with the clients and in managing their expectations in communicating timelines and communicating pricing and helping them line up for reintegration and preparing them for the fact that sometimes we don't get the data back. Mm. This is not a, we picked a game we're firefighters. And sometimes when we get there, the building is burned to the ground already. Right. And there's a multitude of different ways that people can lose their data permanently. And that happens sometimes. And we don't always know it before we get in there and making sure that my organization, when we fail to assist these people directly, you know, frankly, that's when we really need to shine. Right. Right. Um, it, it's how you deal with those most adverse situations that defines you. Anybody can have a happy client with a big smile on their face when you save their bacon, right? Right. How you deal with professionally communicating exactly what happened and exactly why Gilware and nobody can help you get this data back, explaining why it's permanently gone forever, regardless of your budget so that they understand what happened and letting them have all those human emotions inventing. And, and, you know, sometimes when you deliver that news, what the news you're really delivering is that an organization is going to have a, have a termination of some IT employees. Hmm. So you're telling somebody that they're about to be fired, right? Because it was their responsibility to, to protect this data and to back it up and to audit and to be there. And they fell down as an organization. And sometimes you're talking to a managed service provider who has built a business for 10 years and they were hosting 30 businesses, 30 other businesses data on a platform and something horrific happened. And, you know, all of that data is gone. And you're talking to a business owner whose business who's successful business, a successful entrepreneur right? who, who just watched his business evaporate. That's rough. You know, it, it can be really tough. Right. Um, luckily, it doesn't happen very often. I mean, 19 times out of 20, we're going to be able to assist and, and we're going to come out the other end of that dark tunnel mm -hmm. with a little bit of light, but it's not always there. But that's our challenge. That's our biggest challenge is making sure that we set the expectations appropriately for success rates, for feasibility, for timelines, for pricing. It's the human challenges right. is certainly bigger than the, 
the technological challenge. For sure. And that's why I wanted to ask you about that, Brian. Startup Nation, you know, no matter what business uh, that you're in, that human element is so important. You can be, you know, super proficient in whatever your you know field of endeavor or craft is, but that that human piece is just super important. So I appreciate you sharing that because I I imagine that, you know there are probably countless stories that you have where that 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 human piece is just like just so vital where it kind of kicks in. Yeah, it's it's the humans that are your clients, right? And then the, the most important is the humans that work with you, right? That's true. <laughs> That's true. That human you know, if you don't have an amazing team of satisfied and happy humans working for especially like a technology service organization mm-hmm. um everything i was talking about is not going to happen <laughs> right so you know you, you have to take care of your own people first they come before investors they come before clients um you know the, you have to take care of your own people so that they can on the back end take care of your investors and on the back end take care of your clients but if you don't start by taking care of the people that work with you, then you're not going to go anywhere. For sure. For sure. So in, in, in an industry like yours and what you do, how do you get clients? You know, cause like you said, you're the firefighters and normally I don't, I, I wouldn't call the fire department until my house is actually on, you know, fire. Is there any proactive like ways and measures and means for you to gain clients for Gilware? Yeah, so we're in a reactive industry for sure. Okay. And one of the biggest challenges on the marketing and sales side is exactly what you're talking about. Right. Um, I don't have a sales team that's going to call up Dominic and say, hey, I want you to take my business card. And when you lose data sometime in the next 20 years, I want you to call me. Right. You know, that's not going to scale. That's not going to work. We can't take out an ad on Super Bowl and say, hey, did you lose data? Because almost nobody does, right? right? They do, but they, it's not going to happen right now. The timing will never work there. Right. So it's all for us, <clears throat> it's all about a couple different things. But the biggest thing is partners. Mm. So we have roughly a thousand strategic partners that are, that they vary from very small, like one or two person little computer repair companies in Tennessee, mm-hmm. all the way up to places like Dell and places like Micro Center, which, you know, if, you, if you're one of the people listening that happens to be in one of the major markets where Micro Center has a place, I mean, that is like the, that's like a nerd, computer nerd, you know, heaven. Gotcha. It's, <laughs> it's just amazing going into Micro Center. But like we have very tight relationships with these types of IT companies that are going to receive that 911 call, right? Right they're going to say, oh, my laptop is dead and they're going to take it to Micro Center. And Micro Center is going to tell the client, it's because your hard drive is dead. Do you have all the data backed up? And the client's like, oh, crap. And then they make that referral. So my business development and marketing efforts are really to attract partners, right? Gotcha. That are going to be in positions. And over at Tetra Defense, kind of our, our sister company that does the digital forensics, mm-hmm. um, they're going to get most of their business, again, not by having something in the yellow pages that says, hey, did you get ransomware? Call this number now. You know, it's it's really about relationships with cyber insurance carriers. Mm. And, um, you know, most people are starting to get the memo, especially if you're an entrepreneur and your business is starting to become successful or you've been at it two to five years and you've got like a dozen employees and things are going pretty good. If you don't have a cyber insurance policy and if you don't understand your coverage, you're doing it wrong. 
Got you. Soon as push pause on this podcast right now, <laughs> right. get, get a meeting on the books with your small business insurance provider. And you need to understand because if your business gets ransomware, what are you going to do? You might be surprised that your base business insurance probably ain't going to do nothing for you. All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson and you're listening to The Startup Life. Tresta powers this episode of The Startup Life. Okay, Startup Nation, I want to talk to you about our sponsor, Tresta. Tresta is an app for iPhone and Android that lets you do business calling and texting from anywhere. I know so many entrepreneurs that are still using their, their personal phone number for business calls. It can get complicated drawing the line between your personal and professional life. Startup Nation, this is the best business phone app out there. Whether you just need a business phone number or if your team is ready for a complete business phone system, Tresta is totally flexible and can grow with your business. And it's all unlimited. Calling, texting, and all of the powerful call management features like auto attendance, call recording, user groups, and more for just $15 per user per month. With Tresta, there's no contract and you don't need any special hardware, just your smartphone you're already using. Tresta is easy to configure so you can set everything up yourself, all online, avoiding all the hassle and high overhead costs of setting up a traditional business phone system, which is important because as entrepreneurs, we are always trying to cut cost and time. They're often a 30-day free trial so you can see if Tresta's virtual phone system is right for you. Communicate smarter and more efficiently with Tresta. Start now at Tresta.com forward slash Startup Life. That's T-R-E-S-T-A dot com forward slash Startup Life. The link is there in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast. Tresta, business communication simplified. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. Right. Now, we, we've been hearing, you know, especially a lot more lately uh, in the in the past few years about, you know, uh, cyber insurance. Uh, but now, especially now more than ever with us social distancing and, uh, and and using Zoom like crazy, you know what I'm saying? It just seems like now more than ever is probably super important to put that in your entrepreneurial uh, toolkit uh, startup nation. So make sure you uh, uh, take heed to Brian's advice and and pause this uh, uh, this episode and make sure you go ahead and talk to your business insurance advisor about that. Speaking uh, of a Zoom and, and, and stuff like that, because we're starting to see. Uh, that Zoom, uh, as it kind of uh, quadrupled in revenue based on last year's uh, numbers and stuff like that, uh, as they're kind of getting bigger, their uh, vulnerabilities kind of started to show, uh, you know, people hacking stuff, people, you know, anybody who just have a link, just kind of hop in and, and, and join a Zoom call, and especially now with virtual school going on, uh, that that's a bit of a problem. Uh, so I guess I'm curious, you know, even at a small business level, what are some of those uh, besides cyber insurance, what are some of those other actionable uh, items that small businesses kind of take to improve their IT security? Well, let's just talk about Zoom for two seconds. Let's so, yeah. so Zoom is a company that became a big target, right? And that's that's exactly how why Microsoft had such a, you know, 
has such a reputation for having, you know, kind of a crappy security is because they're the biggest target. Mm -hmm. If you're the biggest target, you're going to get hacked. It's just kind of the way it is. And for business owners that are in healthcare or financial services or have any kind of other incredibly sensitive information, you're a big target. And the bigger target you are, the more you need to to try to get ahead of it. And as entrepreneurs, what a lot of people are going to experience when they go to get that first venture capital round or when you're going to get that first call from an acquirer is they're going to do a whole bunch of diligence on your company and they're going to do a bunch of diligence into your cybersecurity. Mm. So this is not a situation where we're just worried about hackers. We're also worried about investors or acquirers. Okay. Okay. So there's a whole bunch of good reasons to to try to get serious about your security to the best of your ability. Um, when you're a small, when you're a super small company, like pre-revenue, there are some basic things you can do that don't cost much money. Uh, the number one way that people get smashed is with user authentication. And basically you have a weak password, a bad password, the same password for everything. Your password is password, that kind of crap. Um, so you want to make sure that you go to Amazon, buy a little device called a YubiKey, and that is how you're going to log into everything. It's a physical dongle. It's called a YubiKey because it is like a key. It's going to handle your password management for you, and it's going to um, get you out of a lot of these phishing attacks or a lot of these abilities for a bad guy to authenticate as you or one of your employees. They're like 50 bucks. If you got six employees, you know, buy 12 of them, you know, buy two for each person. So they have one and they back it up. And, and that way, if you don't have that key, you're not going to be able to log in to your systems, to your operating systems, to your cloud services, to your banking, to your Google, to your email. Like that thing is how you log in and it's 50 bucks and it's better than passwords. So just do that. Um, You can also email security um, getting tricked, getting socially engineered is probably the biggest way that people get owned these days. And, um, you know, you could buy for like a hundred bucks a month, maybe less. You can get, make an investment in a product like an iron scales. It's basically a platform that's going to plug into your email service provider Mm -hmm. that is going to have cloud sourced security. And, And what I mean by that is when a whole bunch of other companies all over the U S they see like a phishing email, they push a button that says, this email looks like phishing to me. Mm. And then Iron Scales is going to remove it from everybody's inbox before it gets there. Now, some of them are going to slip through, but if anybody at your company pushes that button to say, hey, this looks like a phishing email to me, it's just going to poof it from everybody's inbox. And then it also has some ability to do some social engineering training so that we can be on the lookout for for fake emails because some of them are super obvious. Some of them are, hey, you just won Publishers Clearinghouse, $80 million, call me now or whatever. And it's it's pretty obvious to most people that it's bullcrap. But some of them are really tricky. And it's a client of yours that you email with all the time that had their email hacked because they weren't using like a YubiKey and they had a bad password. So you're getting an email from your client about something that's pretty normal. And maybe they want you to wire $8,000 over here now, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to be very, it's tough. It, it's really tough. But again, some social engineering training, some email security, some user authentication. And my number one tip is 
if you're even if you're a micro-sized business with just a solopreneur, it's yourself right now. Right. Buy a freaking like hundred dollar, you know, USB stick. There's a company called Apricorn that that makes a really nice USB stick that's secure. It basically has like a physical keypad on it. It'll store like 256 gigs of data. So probably all the data you got, it's secure because it's encrypted and you need your like six to eight digit code to type it in to unlock it. Mm -hmm. It's cheap. And back up all your data to one of those. Do it every week. And that's what we call an air-gapped backup. As long as you don't leave it plugged into the computer, even if your computer network gets hacked, gets owned, your data on that network gets encrypted. Right. Well, they're not going to be able to encrypt the thing that's not plugged in. And, you know, that's called an air-gapped backup. Now, as your organization gets bigger, these things start to become more challenging, right? Right. But as a tiny business, that's some of the stuff you can do. Um, last kind of basic tip that anybody can do that doesn't really cost much of anything is patch your devices. Um, some of the biggest hacks happen because somebody hasn't patched their iPhone in eight months, you know, and the reason that Apple patched it a dozen times is for security purposes. Cause there were some exploits out there and that's like a self-inflicted wound. Like when your when your smartphone or when your computer says, Hey, I've got a security patch or when a piece of software you use says, Hey, I've got a security patch. You download it and you run it. That's and I know it's annoying, you know, because especially like those of us who like run iTunes, it's like, why does this damn thing patch seven times a month? Right. Right. It's super annoying and I get it. But when you don't patch, you are leaving your systems open and vulnerable. Now, as soon as your business gets a little bigger, you need to make sure that you have a real firewall, a, a real piece of hardware called a hardware firewall between your little business network in the world. And when your employees are stuck at home working on COVID, like if I, I'm at home right now. And if I want to get on my business network, I've got to go through a three-step challenge process where, yes, I've got a username and password. Then I've got a rotating digit that I have to type in that's on a dongle or on like a Google authenticator. Right. Then my IP address at my house has to be in the whitelist. Then the computer that I'm going coming in as, it has to be a known Mac address or a known computer. It, it's not going to let a weird IP address. It's not going to let a weird computer. It's not going to let somebody from Slovakia attempt to log into our network. You got to have my username and my password. And my password is like 50 some digits and it's unique. It's nasty. Right. And then ultimately, I also have to have a rotating digit on my phone. If this if this sounds like overkill, the unfortunate reality is it's not. This is actually an appropriate amount. And in the the computer and the IP address, that only had to happen once. I don't have to do that every time. Right. I just need either my YubiKey or my login and password plus that rotating digit. Like this is how this is the kind of stuff that you should have to do every day to access your organization's information. Right. Right. 
for sure. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, in that same vein, I actually uh, just kind of saw an article just now from The Diplomat. Uh, and it says that the U.S. U.S. Congress is mulling legislation around uh, the Internet of Things. The move comes as China actively seeks to exploit IoT vulnerabilities as well as set technical standards. So basically, the U.S. government is trying to get in the business of kind of legislating some type of security uh, infrastructure to kind of help protect against, you know, vulnerabilities, the IoT and probably a whole bunch of other stuff. What's your commentary on that? How do you feel about the U.S. government kind of stepping in to kind of help with this, uh, uh, those vulnerabilities. I think it's 1000% appropriate. Okay. Fair enough. You know, I mean, sometimes we need the federal government to, to enact change. You know, one of my early it projects was this little thing called Y2K Mm. where it's like everybody was concerned and rightfully so, by the way, that some of the computing systems that had been around for 40 plus years, we're going to melt to the ground and have a very negative impact on Americans' lives, the American economy, and Americans specifically like the stock market and the tradings. And you had all these old systems that right. had these two-digit dates, and nobody quite knew what was all going to happen without the four-digit date code. And probably a lot, a lot, a lot of bad stuff would have happened. So the government, the federal government said, oh, no, it's not going to happen. And if you're in these industries... We are, these are the rules. You have to go into all this code. You have to add the dates. You have to test it. And it had some teeth to it. And, and they audited it. They put some accountability behind it. Like the SEC might knock on the door and say, okay, mutual fund company, show me all your four digit dates. Show me all the code that you changed. Show me that you tested it, that it works. And if they, if you didn't, they might shut you down. They might find you 10 million bucks. And it was 100% appropriate back then. And what happened? Nothing happened. The world did not end. Nothing crashed. Right. But it's because the government took it seriously. This is an emerging threat, okay? Mm-hmm. Not just the IO, IoT, right. but the, the amount of billions of dollars that are being stolen from Americans and American companies right. by overseas criminals that are funding things like weapons program in countries like North Korea, who unfortunately have governments that are diametrically opposed to how we want to run things here. Mm -hmm. This is, this is, uh, these are real problems, almost as big as COVID problems. Right. Right. So it, it really is a situation where we need the federal government to step up. I mean, we've got, some little, you know, podunk places. And I, I don't mean that in a condescending way, but some of my favorite places in Wisconsin are in the middle of nowhere with a population density. Nobody, <laughs> you get out, you get to a lake. There's two people on the lake. It's you and your son, you're fishing. There's nobody around. Right. Right. Some of these same communities have a little dam that is computer controlled mm. so that somebody 45 miles away can open and close this dam when it rains because it's too big of a pain in the butt to drive out there in the middle of the night. Right. Right. Well, when an Iranian or a Chinese hacker have the ability to open that dam and and flood all that infrastructure and kill people, um, that's a big problem. And does, you know, a tiny little town in Wisconsin with a 20 year old computer system, do they have the funding or the wherewithal or the technical expertise to defend that thing? 
I'm here to tell you they don't. They never did. Right. And if it sounds like I'm making weird stuff up, because that's part of the problem is we hear, in, especially in the world that we live in, there's all these fake boogeymen that people who are in marketing try to drum up, you know? Right. Uh, this is real stuff. Um, there have been hundreds of documented instances where foreign I, IT professionals or sorb, you know, foreign security people have hacked into U.S. infrastructure for utilities, for dams, for just about all kinds of stuff that we take for granted, man. Like we take for granted that we turn on the light switch and our lights come on and our food is cold. That's true. Um, if that power grid takes a big hit because a North Korean hacker gets mad that we have sanctions against them and they decide to take that down, people can die. And there are times when a small community, a small county in Wisconsin, when the state of Wisconsin, when us as U.S. citizens need to have some of our tax money go to foremost experts at the federal level to not only legislate, mm -hmm. but fund these defensive postures. This is a national security issue. It's a big deal. Um, when I hear that the federal government is starting to get more involved with legislating how we secure data and legislating how we protect data and all the new Privacy Act stuff, you know, it's it's like, you know, I've been wishing for a lot of this change for like a decade. Gotcha. So I'm 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 happy that the world is catching up and that people, even like non-technologists like our Congress people and our senators who man, like you could never meet a bunch of no offense to all those people, but they <laughs> typically are old and they typically are computer dullards. They have no idea what's going on, right? And they're the ones writing the laws. That's true. That's, no, that, that, <laughs> that, that, that's fair. That that is fair. You know. I you know, and not not everybody over the age of sixty sucks with technology. Of but, course. But I get what you, know. you mean though. Yeah. No. And that and that's an issue, right? You know, that's definitely an issue because it's like it's it's kind of hard to legislate something you're not very, you know, uh had that acumen to, you know what I mean? Well, and, and like it just started. So like there's a play, there's a, a new piece of uh, the they came out with this thing called CMMC. It's a new security framework where if you are going to be anywhere in the defense supply chain, mm -hmm. if you're going to sell a bolt for a submarine to the U.S. government, like you have to be CMMC level something certified. And there's a bunch of different levels and there's a bunch of different steps that you need to take. But a lot of that stuff that I was just talking about is in that like tier one, you know, like you can't do anything with us if you don't have these dozen things that you're doing. And again, it has some teeth to it. There are going right. to be audits. And this, again, as entrepreneurs, we need to pay attention because this is going to be a trend. If you're going to be in the space of B2B, business to business mm -hmm. or business to government, right? you have to have your crap together. You have to invest time and money and expertise in your security. You have to. It's going to be table stakes to sit at the table. They're going to look at your IT and they're going to say, nope. And this is going to propagate into every large enterprise. 
Like if you want to sell a, a piece of underwear to Macy's, mm-hmm. you are going to have to have your IT stuff together. If you're going to do, you know, if you're going to sell point of sale systems to Dick Sporting Goods, you're going to have to have your stuff together. That makes sense and, because you're handling you their know, sensitive information. So that makes complete sense. Yeah. And, uh, and again, there, some of this is going to continue to get legislated and legislated where, you know, any company in America with a hundred employees or 5 million bucks in revenue is going to probably have to have like a certain level of security credentials mm-hmm. that are maybe even audited by somebody in the federal government. And again, like as a, there's a lot of people out there that are incredibly conservative and not my, I'm not going to wear no mask and I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. And right. nobody, I'm an American. Nobody tells me what to do. It's like, well, yeah, well then you're not going to sell, you know, ammunition to, to that, uh, to that other company. Right. Like right. this is just part of being a responsible entrepreneur and being an entrepreneur period is going to involve some amount of this technical know-how. And again, like when you're putting together your board of directors and there might be a bunch of those older stodgy folks with a lot of different business acumens and things like that, make one of those five seats, somebody who's a technologist (laughs) who's, who can be there in those early days to help guide those decisions. Cause, um, when you're designing your products or you're designing your back end, when you're designing your networks, when if you design all this stuff with security in mind, it is so much more efficient and so much cheaper than than when you come in after five years of a crazy growth curve like a Zoom right. and then say, "Ah, oh, crap, our stuff is really unsecure," and then it's really really painful, right? Right, for sure, for sure. Thank you for sh- sharing all that. That that damn. Uh, example. I didn't even think about that because I, I think a, a, a lot of times when we think about uh, uh, cybersecurity and and, and uh, securing the infrastructure of the internet and stuff like that, you, you tend to think about like you know your population centers, your New Yorks, your LA's and stuff like that. But no, that's a that's a legit issue. That can be a legit issue. So I appreciate you uh, with that that your I appreciate your commentary and making that uh, connection and coloring that for us. I really appreciate that, Brian. That's important. Well, and they're they're again they're there's not they're not as big a target as that hospital in New York. That's true, right? but but that's true. And I hate to cut you off, but I want to uh, emphasize this point because we were we we covered uh, thirty six eighty six the entrepreneurship festival here uh, in Tennessee, and the uh, economics professor at Vanderbilt said that he anticipates uh, with us working remotely and stuff like that, a lot more people move into more rural areas since, you know, if you got that internet, con- internet connection, uh, you know, you may consider, I don't have to live in a city anymore. So when you talked about that, that example, that's what it made me think of. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I wanted to get that. Oh, you didn't cut me off. I mean, again, it, it's a, it's a situation where, you know, there are, there are people that want to screw you over because they want to steal your money. That's true. Like the ransomers, right? That is. Very Sometimes true. they've got a nefarious back end because they're trying to fund some stuff that we we would really like them to not have funded. Of course. Right. Uh, sometimes they're just criminals that just want a couple, just want a couple bucks. Right. And if they can hack into your business, encrypt all your data, demand a quarter million dollars ransom payment, and then you as a business owner are like you've got a decision to flush all your business down the toilet or come up with a quarter million dollars or maybe call your 
again, cyber insurance company to have them do it right? to save your bacon. Um, again, it, it's all this stuff is avoidable, but it's a lot of work to get there. And the federal government getting on board and legislating certain things is a very important catalyst for change. And one of the biggest problems we have right now, Dominic, mm-hmm. is we don't have enough workers. Mm. There's, you know, we probably could use 2 million technologists in this country that that have some cybersecurity chops. That's very true. I I talk to a lot of educators who say that same thing, because that's that's where I imagine the bulk of that that uh, job uh, pipeline or workforce pipeline is going to come from. It's going to come from uh, people uh, uh, really hammering down that those STEM uh, type of uh, degrees and stuff like that. So I definitely know where you're coming from. Yeah. And specifically in cybersecurity, you know, Mm -hmm. so STEM, sure, we need to do better there. But, um, you know, in in some of these other countries where we are hiring these people from right now, they're starting these kids in cybersecurity programs when they're in third grade. Fair enough. You know, and I'm not saying we do that, but it's certainly something where the federal government has a lot of authority when it comes to influencing and funding different research projects, different uh, PhDs, different educational systems, different universities and technical schools. And they play a role in helping our populace transition from coal miners to something else sometimes, right? It's a legit, and, it's a legit national security issue. And, and it's in our security and it's in our economic best interest. Sure. These, are, these jobs are there. For sure. And there's just not enough people with the expertise right now. And it's part of the problem. So I would love it if there was more funding for scholarships, if there were more programs to get computer programming and network security into tech schools all across America, getting them into those, you know, urban centers where, you know, it's not always super clear what career paths are open to people. I mean, I'm telling you right now, if you've got two years of, of cybersecurity schooling, you are not going to have any trouble getting a job, not just a job, a well-paying job with benefits and upward mobility and high pay. I mean, if you're listening to this, like not exactly sure where your career is going to go and you like computers, man, like two, three years from now, you could be an entry-level cybersecurity professional and really enjoying your life other than there's people you know you're doing battle with hackers all day and right. crisis management all day and it does come with some downsides <laughs> right for sure uh you're not you're not working at the beach um but it, it's <laughs> right. um it, it's a it, it's a wonderful emerging career and i just can't wait for this country and the schools to catch up and the parents to start encouraging their kids to get involved with some of this stuff you know Right. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing all of that for sure. And we're actually going to start wrapping up with uh, Brian Gill, chairman and CEO uh, of Gillware. Look, man, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for all the content. And thank you for uh, your commentary on that last piece. I think that was uh, that was pretty good and it was quite fascinating, but it's, it's definitely something that we need to uh, bring to the forefront forefront. Uh, of our thinking of our mind. So I appreciate you sharing all of that. Uh, but right now I'm actually going to turn the microphone over to you because given everything that's going on, uh, there's a lot of people feeling discouraged right now. Give us some words of encouragement, Brian, if you don't mind to kind of take us out for today. 
Well, your listeners are doing the right thing. You know, they're they're listening to, to Dominic, his words of wisdom. He's bringing on great guests. Congratulations on 200 plus episodes. Thank you, sir. Um, you know, it's, again, you're not wasting your time. You're not watching Netflix. No offense, <laughs> Netflix. You know, you're, you you know, if you've made it to this point of the interview, you listen to me ramble for an hour, which congratulations. I, my <laughs> wife can't do it. Um, you know, it, it's, we have to be grateful for what we got. You know, one of the best things for me as I got older, um, and certainly getting balder and fatter isn't great, but as we get more mature, the best part of my life is the increasing amount of gratitude I have on a daily basis for, for my clients, for my peers, for my kids, for, for high school sports mm. that, that we don't have. All these things that if we're not careful, we take for granted. Right. And um, it's so easy to get distracted by, uh, by politics and by disease and by, you know, the horrifying economy. And it's easy if you're like, you know, we're like, whatever, six months into this pandemic and th this could be a big catalyst for positive change in your life. If you take the opportunity to switch gears in your career, to think about that business idea and take a shot when you're at the bottom, it's easier to take a shot, right? There's not so much risk when you don't have a job. If you have no job right now and you have an idea, you might as well give it a shot because what's the harm, right? What's the downside risk? It can be a wonderful trampoline and it doesn't feel like it in the moment, right? But um, we all are struggling, but part of that struggle comes with growth and comes with camaraderie when you struggle with people shoulder to shoulder. That's, that's when I've met my best friends in the world is working hard when the chips were down and I, you know, I mean, that, that's when, that's when we find out who we are and that's when we find out what we're made out of. And, you know, I think a lot of us, especially this, you know, as this internet propagated and as our society got more and more and more, I don't know, coddled or entitled or whatever people say, I mean, it's important that everybody faces adversity and we're facing probably too much right now. <laughs> I would, a bit. I would, a bit. I would like less adversity in 2021. Right. But I think when we look back five years from now at this horrendous year, mm -hmm. I think we're going to see a fountain of, of successful companies and successful people that found themselves and found their business partners and gritted through this damn thing. And, you know, I think maybe not in 2021, but 2022 is going to be a pretty freaking awesome year. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. I appreciate that. Awesome stuff. And that's if you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, 
Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new Startup Blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.